Anybody got a Bible this morning? Yeah? Go ahead and use it. Let's open up to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to tag on to a couple of things that we talked about just a few minutes ago. Um, Tomorrow is a big day. This is a big month. This is an important time for believers to be exactly who they're meant to be, for the church to not just go to church, but be the church. And uh, I thank God that, that he's showing us what that looks like. He's changing us. He's, he's speaking to us and speaking through us. We're uh, in a place where the landscape has changed, the nation has changed. Canada is not what it looked like 50 years ago. Um, Church isn't what it looked like 50 years ago. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's not such a good thing. But one of the good things I'll tell you about this is, is that 50 years ago, there were a whole lot of people going to church who didn't know Jesus. I know that sounds weird, but there are a lot of people that just went culturally. They went at the right holidays at the right times because that was the thing to do. But they had no real relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, you go, it's, I mean... You go from church to church, you go from city to city, and there are more genuine on fire for Jesus believers than there's been. I mean, there's the people that are in are in, and they're plugged in, they're for real. And not everybody, of course, but I'd say the numbers are high. And uh, there's churches being planted, there's people getting saved. Canada is in a good place. We're not in a perfect place. We need help, thank God. There's a lot that needs prayer, there's a lot that needs work, but... God has not abandoned our, our nation, and thank God for it. We are, as believers, uh, a light in a dark place, just as we were talking about Halloween and what that means in our culture. I'm reminded, just as we've said before, that there, it does little good to curse the darkness. We can stay in our building and shake our fists at the darkness, and we'll do, we'll do nothing. What, what believers need to do is shine light, amen? It's very easy during election season to shake our fists at the darkness, isn't it? to talk about what's wrong, talk about what they're doing wrong and what they should be doing right. But instead, we need to be speaking truth. We need to be demonstrating the gospel, not just preaching it with our words, but demonstrating it with our lives. We need to be holding fast the word of life as, as like stars in a dark sky. We show the world what light looks like. And when we do that, things change, amen? I want to read you something from Ephesians chapter 5. I love Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, anybody else here love Ephesians chapter 5? We've got, a, we've got a club that meets on uh, Tuesdays, the Ephesians 5 club. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just when I said that, I saw people say, oh, I shouldn't have raised my hand. <laughs> I love this. I, just as I said, our nation's changed. I imagine uh, you, can, you can learn a bit about how to minister to your culture and to minister to your family and to your workplace. You can learn some from... Um, the, the, the ministry of the church to the, to the Jewish people, how they preached the Messiah, how there were a lot of religious leaders that didn't like to hear what they had to say, and there were some that persecuted them heavily. Um, but then you also learn a lot from, from the church reaching out to the, to the pagans, to the idolaters, to the ones who didn't believe that there was one God. They believed that there was many, and, and they had a lot of um, really messed up practices, See, the, the Jews' biggest problem was not that they were going around um, 
uh, sleeping with one another, that they were getting drunk every day. This was not the issue amongst the Jewish people. This, the issue was that their own self-righteousness and old, their own man-made religion kept them from, from, from receiving what God was offering and kept them from seeing what Jesus was preaching. But it was different when you went to these, these Greek cities, these, these Roman cities, these cities that didn't have a tradition of following the one true God. In many of these places, the problem wasn't, um, you know, just stodgy dead religion. The problem was, was that the religion was based on, the, on the, the frailness of humanity. I mean, even the gods and goddesses that they worshipped were sleeping around. Even the gods and goddesses they worshipped were, 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 were stealing, were, were killing, were lying. I mean, these were gods and goddesses that they had based on their own image. So, of course, they were flawed. You'll never surpass the God you worship. And so here, when the church reaches these cities, they're, they're having to reach them in a different way. You watch how Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching to many nations, but they're all there for the feast. So they all have a knowledge of the scripture. They all have a knowledge of, Yah- of Yahweh. They all have some, some degree of understanding of it. So when he gets up, what does he preach from? He preaches from the Old Testament. He tells them, this is what Joel prophesied. He says, this is what David was saying. And when David said this, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus. He looked ahead to Jesus' time. I mean, they're quoting from these things even before the day of Pentecost. They're looking around and saying, don't you see it's in Scripture that one of these guys would have to, talking about Judas, one of these guys would have to be removed and another would have to take his place. But by the time, so, so Stephen talks to the, to the leaders of the, the synagogue, and he says the same thing. He goes through the entire Old Testament making his point. But by the time they start reaching the Gentiles, the message is a little bit different. It's still preaching Jesus. It's still preaching the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection. But now they're not really just relying on a knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. They're having to introduce a new concept. There is one God. And there is Jesus who he sent, and, and Jesus being the Son of God was crucified and rose again. And, and so when they're preaching to these guys, they have to uh, hit it from a different direction. Paul said in Romans, the problem with my brothers is, the guys I went to Bible school with, if you want to call it that way, rabbinical school, he said, the problem with my brothers is, is that they try to attain their own righteousness, establish their own righteousness, and in doing so, they miss out on the righteousness of God, which is by faith. But by the time they get to the Gentiles, that's not the problem. The Gentiles have no illusion of righteousness. The Gentiles are about as lost as you can get. And when he comes to them, he preaches Jesus in all of his power. And when they get born again, they have to be taught how to live way different. Ephesus, many of you have heard me talk about Ephesus before. Ephesus was a port city. Ephesus was a major market center. Ephesus was kind of like a New York City. It was a place where a lot of people all over the world were coming. Ephesus, its greatest jewel was the Temple to Artemis. And at the Temple of Artemis, um, they believed one of the ways they could worship Artemis best was through temple prostitution, was through some very lewd things that would cause us things we don't even talk about in church. I've quoted this before, but a, a, a pagan historian not a Christian, but a pagan historian said if you were to go by the, that temple, the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana, if you were to go by that temple 
your young women would blush and your young men would turn to lust. That's a temple. That's not what's happening in the back alleys. That's happening wide open in your biggest tourist attraction. You are promoting some stuff that even the, even, even the godless pagans are blushing at. That's the kind of city that the gospel comes to. It's a city dominated by witchcraft. What is witchcraft? Because there's a lot of definitions for it. And when we think of witchcraft, we think of some lady with a pointy hat and a broom. But in reality, the word witch just comes from, from, from an old English word or an old Anglo-Saxon word, wicca or wicker. You know, see, we, we get the, you know what a wicker chair is? It's twisted, right? A wick of a candle is twisted, right? Wicked comes from a word, or, and even witchcraft comes from a word that means to manipulate, to twist. Magic comes from a word which means to, to, to manipulate, to twist, to, to change things. The idea being that somehow you can manipulate the spirit powers to work for you. So in Ephesus, you'd have these people that would have all these spell books that they would try to use these spells to make their business run well. Or, even more importantly, not just to make their business run well, but to make the other guy's business run badly. Kind of the the, the equivalent of taking a voodoo doll and putting pins in it, right? Right. They spent a lot of money on this. They were passed on. These books were were not only a lot of money went towards it, but they were passed on from generation to generation. And, uh, That's a big deal. Even the Jews in Ephesus were messed up, right? Because if you're reading in Acts, when Paul preaches in Ephesus, he's seeing extraordinary miracles. Do you know what extraordinary means? We would say that every miracle is extraordinary, right? But by this point in the early church, miracles were ordinary. That doesn't mean they were boring, doesn't mean they were dull, but they were expected. But it says at this point in history, extraordinary miracles were happening at the hands of Paul. That means miracles that were out of the ordinary. Things like him just wiping his sweat on a, on a rag, putting it down, somebody grabbing the rag and throwing it on a demon-possessed person, and that demon going out of the person. Extraordinary miracles. Unusual stuff. So when the Jews, guys like the seven sons of Sceva hear about this, they've gone so far from their first belief. They've gone so far from what, uh, what, what, what the scripture says that they still believed in casting out evil spirits, but they did it through the same methods that the, the Gentiles used. They said, if we can just find the right spell, this person would be better. So when they hear that Paul is casting out evil spirits in the name of Jesus, they go, aha, a new spell, a new name we can use that, that will work. What happens when they try it? The demon answers back, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? Words you never want to hear. That spirit strips those seven guys, beats them up, strips them naked, kicks them out of the house. Guys, it wasn't a, and it wasn't even like a, it wasn't like a ghost battle here. It was one guy all of a sudden had power to beat up seven other guys. It's freaky stuff. Do you know what it demonstrated to the city of Ephesus? That there was a difference between the reality of the gospel that Paul was preaching and the disciples were preaching and this fake stuff that used to use Jesus just as another spell. And the Bible says this in the book of Acts, so the word of the Lord was prevailing and was, 
well, sorry, it was growing mightily and was prevailing. The word of the Lord was growing, expanding, and it was winning. It's winning in a city that's got no history of the gospel. It's winning in a city that has no godly politicians or representatives. It's winning in a city where there is not really even a church. There are synagogues that kick Paul out, and he's meeting in a pagan theater, a place for philosophy. And from that place, the gospel's going out. See, we, we put all these, these, these barriers on how, how the gospel's got to win. We've got to have these programs. We've got to have this system in place. We, all these things got to click. All it takes for the gospel to win is for people to truly embrace it, live it out, and preach it in its power. The gospel wins. In fact, it says the word of the Lord was growing mightily and was prevailing. The, the, thing, that, the thing that came right before that, was the entire group of believers that just got saved taking their books of magic and burning them in the public square in front of everybody. Now, I often make this point that they didn't burn anybody else's books. That's important. It's not your job to burn everybody's books. It's not your job to go in the bookstore, buy a bunch of copies of of the Satanic Bible and burn them. All you're doing is, is making the author a bit more money. It's not your job to force your neighbors to believe what you believe. It's your job to preach the gospel to your neighbors, demonstrate the gospel to your neighbors so that they will believe. Do you honestly believe there's a law we could pass that would force somebody to be saved? No. Do you think there's a law we could pass that would enable somebody to overcome their sinful nature? Mm -mm. You can't overcome sinful nature without Jesus Christ. It's the only way it happens. So our salvation is not found in politics. I believe in good government. I believe there might be people in the room today, probably going to be young people, that are, that are going to be raised up someday and are going to be godly people in government. I believe in that. But that's not where our salvation lies. Our salvation lies in Jesus Christ. So I want to read you something in Ephesians chapter 5. We've read this over and over again. It'll do you good to hear something again. For this you know with certainty, this is Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Look what it says here. It says, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. I guarantee you, if you're a believer, for long enough, you'll have somebody try to deceive you with empty words, trying to get you to participate in what they're participating with. And there's a 50-50 shot. It's a Christian telling you this. You know what I mean? Some of the greatest temptations to believers for them to compromise comes from other believers. You Why? Because they're threatened by it. Now, I, I, I love my brothers. I love my sisters in Christ. But I know as a teenager, every time I took a stand for Jesus, there was some 
other teenager who was just, you know, saying, come on, man, it's not that big of a deal, man. Why? Because the moment you make a stand for Jesus, suddenly they feel like, uh-oh, now I look bad. So what do they want to do? They want to bring you down back to their level so they, feel, they don't feel convicted anymore. I feel fine doing what I'm doing. It's not, I, didn't, I didn't have to go tell them they were doing anything wrong. I didn't tell them they were doing anything wrong. But your light is exposing darkness. So people are threatened by that. But he says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Come on, you're going to hear some good arguments. You'll hear some good arguments. Oh, man, it's okay. Just a little bit of this, just a little bit of that. He says, don't let anybody deceive you. He says, that's why, I mean, he says, those guys, that's, that's the thing that got them in trouble in the first place. Don't listen to that. What does he say instead? He says, you were formerly darkness. That's who you used to be. You used to be in the darkness. You used to be darkness yourself. But he says, now you are light in the Lord. I love that. He doesn't just say, I've said this so many times, but he doesn't just say you have light. He doesn't just say you you walk with the light. He says, you are light. Now walk as children of light. We've talked about this so many times. I'm just going to say right now, disclaimer, because I need to stop saying we've said this so many times. I'm going to say a lot today that I've already said. Are you okay with that? (laughs) Then I don't have to make the disclaimer every time I say it. You are light. This is who you are. This is your identity. Now walk as children of light. This is the key for believers. Because we've been made something through the blood of Jesus. The problem isn't who you are. The problem is, or not, the, not just the problem, the solution is, are we walking as who we are? Come on, come on. See, this is your identity. You're light. You have light. You are light. But what's going to change Canada, what's going to change Lloydminster, what's going to change your family and your workplace is not merely who you are on the inside, but whether or not that inside is working its way to your actions, to your words, to everything else, because that's when you're walking out the light. And according to Jesus, that's when the light shines. When he says in Matthew chapter 5, in fact, let's, let's turn there for a minute. Turn to Matthew 5 and hold your place in Ephesians 5. We're only going to stay in places with chapter 5s. I'm just kidding. Don't hold me to that. Ephesians, or sorry, Matthew 5. 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It preserves and it gives flavor. Right? So, whether it be the, the first, the, you know, centuries back, the first nations, whether it be explorers, one of the things they knew in this area, before, before we had buildings, before we had cities, We had men and women who learned how to make meat last for a long time. One of the ways they did that was to add salt to it. Add salt to it, it'll last a lot longer, won't it? Salt preserves, but salt also gives flavor. It says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus uses this example more than once. Salt that doesn't taste like salt isn't, isn't really, doesn't have a point anymore. What do, you think, what do you think happens when the salt t- stops tasting like salt? 
I imagine it just tastes like everything else. He says it's no good if it doesn't taste like salt. We got to be different. We got to be okay with being different. Then he says this. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Who do you think put the city on the hill? It says set on a hill. So it implies that somebody put it there on purpose. Who do you think put it there? If we're the city of God, who put us on a hill? He did. Jesus is not afraid of you being noticed. He's not afraid of you being visible. In fact, he wants it to be visible. In ancient cultures, often they'd build cities with limestone so that at certain times, they would, these cities would literally glow when, you, when strangers would be looking for a city. They'd see it from far away because of the reflection of the light. He says here, a city set on a hill can't be hidden. Even if you want it to be, it couldn't be. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I love that. So how do we shine our light? He says it here. Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Light shines the most when we're living it out. When we're walking it out, that's when the light shines. And and the goal is, you notice this, this is the difference between self-righteous action, you just doing something good so everybody notices you. If that's your attitude, what's going to happen? When you shine that little bit of light, people are going to glorify you. But when you do it for his sake, when when you're doing it out of of obedience to God, when you're doing it in the the humility and faith that he requires, what's going to happen is you're living out the light and people are glorifying God. But we have this culture where we think in order to be humble, I have to not be noticed. If, I, if, I'm, if people are noticing me, they're not seeing Jesus. How are they supposed to see Jesus if they can't see you? He's the, there is, don't, don't forget, he's the one that put the lampstand there and put you on top of a lampstand. You're supposed to be on the lampstand. He's the one that designed it so that you're there. A lampstand takes the light, puts it higher so people see it. Jesus is okay with you being noticed. In fact, he prefers it. Well, but if I'm being noticed, then it's all about me. No. What does he say? People will see your good works and they'll glorify God. Why? I don't know about you, but half the stuff I do, more than half, Pretty much all the stuff I do, if I do anything good, if I do anything worthy of of attention, all of it is him. And it's pretty apparent when you really look, this guy's not that, this guy couldn't have done that on his own. This this lady's not that talented. Apparently, God's doing something with their life. God took a dummy and is using them to confound the wise. God took an uneducated person who sounds like they got a master's degree. God is doing this, and isn't it marvelous in our eyes? Let your light shine before men. But I want you to see, he says, I put it on a lampstand. You don't put it under a bed. You don't put it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let's ask ourselves this question. What's the house? You could say, well, the house is the church. But that would be silly because we're a bunch of lights 
in a room that give light to other light. That, that would be pointless. If we're giving light to the rest of the house, it means the rest of the house doesn't have any light. So who's the house? It's the world. I'd say the house that you're giving light to is whoever you have influence on, whoever's looking. So Lloyd Minster is our house. Your job is your house. Maybe literally, if you're the only one born again here, and your family, you're still believing that they're going to get saved, you might be the light in your house, and your house is your house. Canada is our house. We're giving light to Canada. And we complain because it's so dark. Oh, it's dark over there. Oh, it's dark up there. Oh, it's dark in here. It's dark over here. And we, we turn on the TV and say, oh, how dark. And we, 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 we pay attention to the election and say, oh, how dark it is. Dark rooms stay dark when the light stays home. It's just as simple as that. You don't blame darkness for being dark. dark darkness isn't a force in itself. Darkness is just the absence of light. Right? said this over and over again, but you can't go to the store and buy a flash dark and shine a beam of darkness around your house. <laughs> Doesn't work. Because there's no such thing as a force of darkness that dispels light. But we act that way, don't we? Oh, the darkness is pressing in. Lord, you see the darkness pressing in. It's dark because there's no light. What do you think the solution might be? The light, do you think... Do you think the solution is for God to murder the darkness? <laughs> Walk into a dark room. Who turned on the dark in here? Tia, did you buy more of those dark bulbs? I, I know it's dark in here. No, the solution is not to break the dark bulbs. There's no such thing as dark bulbs. The solution is to bring a light into the dark room. So if the school is a dark place... Now, I believe some of you are called to homeschool, some of you are called to do this, some of you are called to public school, some of you are called to Catholic school, whatever. You, you're the parent, you're in charge. Your, your responsibility is to hear from God, not from me, from God. That's you, that's you who are supposed to do that. But if your kids are in the school system, don't you think there needs to be some light on the school board? Right? You can complain about the school board all you want. Or you can pray that somebody rises up and gets on that school board who's got something worthwhile to say. And God might pick you. Right? If your kids are homeschooled, I'm sure they're involved in something else, aren't they? Whether it be 4-H or soccer or hockey or something like that. You can complain about how dark it is or you can shine some light in that area. Now, the truth is, some places... If the darkness is affecting your light more than your light is affecting their darkness, you probably shouldn't be there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cooler's a dark place. I don't go in there and say, I'm going to shine some light in the cooler. <laughs> and I don't think you're called to either. I think, there, I think there are some things where you just say, okay, we're going to pray for these people. We might stand outside the cooler door and lead people to Jesus. Might, might buy a taxi so I can do it. But whatever we're doing, we're not going to curse darkness. We're not going to rail at the darkness. We're going to shine light. How did they shine light in Ephesus? There were miracles. There were signs and wonders. But they also got rid of their darkness. They got rid of their magic books. 
And, and the Bible says it, it, the, the cost, when they counted up how much that little bonfire cost, it cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Couldn't that money have been better spent building a building or sending missionaries somewhere? Couldn't we have sold those? They wanted to make it clear we have nothing to do with this anymore. There's an idea in the church today, and, and, and it is on its, it, it's really a good idea. But it's kind of the buzzword lately. The buzz phrase is let's redeem it. Everything can be redeemed. And to a degree, I think this is a good thing, all right? You go to the Christian bookstore today, you can buy uh, a, a, a CD with uh, bagpipe hymns, and you can cry as they play Amazing Grace. And you know that bagpipes, when they were first used, weren't used for the glory of God. Once again, enter my pagan ancestors who marched into battle nude, painted blue, blowing these terrible sounding windbags to the glory of their idols. Right? And they weren't playing Amazing Grace. But now you can buy a CD and it's got bagpipes. And you know what? I think God is in it. And it's wonderful. I've, I've, I've had wonderful moments of worship with that, those bagpipes. So there are things that can be redeemed and should be redeemed. But can I say this? Not everything should be redeemed. Not everything deserves to be redeemed. I don't, I don't feel like I need to redeem a swastika. Let's make it a Jesus swastika. No, don't make it a Jesus swastika. Let's just get rid of it. Oh, isn't it a shame for such a beautiful shape to go to, well, I'm not going to give the devil that shape. Just leave it alone, man. I don't feel like I need to redeem cocaine. Couldn't it be used for the glory of God? No. <laughs> Leave it alone. Right? Let's find a way to redeem it. No, some stuff doesn't need to be redeemed. Some stuff needs to be replaced. Some stuff can be redeemed. I mean, guys, you had a beautiful voice and you used it to, to sing songs that were, 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 all about, were all about sensuality and things of the flesh, but you got born again, you got saved, you got turned on to Jesus. God wants to use your voice. It was created for his pleasure. But then there's other things where they say the best thing we could do with these books is to burn them. Just burn them. Well, that's not very redemptive. It is redemptive. You're getting rid of the poison. Burn it in front of everybody. And they'll say, why are you burning all, that, all those books that are worth so much money? And you'll say, I've turned from idols to a living God. The silversmiths in Acts 19 got really mad because their whole economy was based on these little idols. They got furious. They had a meeting. They said, if these guys keep preaching, we'll go out of business because people aren't buying our little idols anymore. And you know, Paul didn't say, wait, guys, I didn't realize our Christianity was hurting your business. What kind of witness is that? We can redeem these idols. Let's make them angels. Diana is an angel. Actually, that's part of our church history, isn't it? We took all these idols and we said, Hmm, we really like having idols around the house. What can we do with them? Let's make them angels and saints. Oh, good idea. Sorry. 
No, there was no redemption in idolatry. There was a turning from idolatry. Do you know what? It hurt their business. It's okay. They'll get over it. They'll find new business doing something else. Do you believe that? Do you think the casino needs to be redeemed? Oh, you're going to put so many people out of jobs. They'll find other jobs. It's okay. You know, in the Old Testament, it wasn't just about building temples. Sometimes it was about knocking idols down. And they made the argument, it took a lot of money to build these things. It took treasure. It took time. It took energy. And God said, it's an abomination to me. Just knock it down. That's all I'm going to say about that. So back to Ephesians 5. Now, I do believe Larry Norman when he says, why should the devil have all the good music? In fact, I don't believe the devil has any good music. I think you might have some beats and some rhythms, but they add up to nothing without the presence of God. Ephesians chapter 5, back to this. What does it say? Verse 11, do not participate. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Do not participate. Does it say you have to go and tear them down? No. Do you have to go set fire to the strip club? No. Don't participate. There's a time not to participate. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Notice it says unfruitful. Because in context, only a few verses before, what did he say? The fruit of light consists in all righteousness and goodness and truth. The fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The fruit of the light in your life, the natural outpouring of what God's done inside of you is going to be there's righteousness coming out of you. There's goodness coming out of you. And there's truth coming out of your life. And it's going to shine to everybody else. They're going to see that fruit and they're going to glorify the Father. What's the problem with the deeds of darkness? There's no fruit in it. No fruit. Don't participate in that junk. What are you supposed to do? Expose them. See, when we read this, though, we think of like Dateline. We think of some guy jumping out of a, behind the refrigerator and going, why don't you have a seat? We think of investigative journalism. We think of, we think of somebody, you know, really embarrassing and humiliating. But... Really, how, does, how do we expose darkness? You don't expose darkness by having an investigative journalism program. You, you expose darkness by shining light. So in reality, some things you don't even have to directly address. You just need to shine the light. Some things you do need to address. Some things you just need to shine your light, and they will be addressed. Look at what it says here. Instead, even expose them. Verse 12, for it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. So you being light, you living your life, you being who God made you to be is going to show a distinction between darkness and light, between the world and the church. You're going to show people who didn't even realize they were in darkness. People that had no clue they were in darkness. They thought they were good people. Do you know what? None of us were good people. We we all need Jesus. That's okay. That's good. That's wonderful. What's going to expose darkness? You just being light, 
Because when you shine light, darkness will be exposed. It's difficult, guys. It's awkward. It's not fun when a politician is exposed for corruption. We're all embarrassed that it happened on our watch. And we don't rejoice in unrighteousness, even when it's the opposition. But what we do rejoice in is that the truth came out, that justice is is triumphing. We should rejoice, as painful as it is, we should rejoice when corruption is uncovered, when wickedness is brought out into the light. We should rejoice and we should pray. And this will happen more and more when believers shine their light. Darkness will be exposed. All things become visible when they're exposed by the light. See, the enemy wants to keep things in darkness. He wants to keep things in the shadows. But things can't stay in the shadows when the light's around. Look what he says. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is what he says to the church. Awake, wake up. Wake up, people of God. Get up from your sleep. And Christ will shine on you. The best thing, the best thing for the enemy in Canada, and I don't mean any party or any person. The enemy is not people. The enemy is the enemy. The enemy is those spiritual forces of darkness. And the best thing for them is for you to fall asleep and just go through the motions of your day and go through the motions of your life and forget who you are. But wake up. What if the church in Canada woke up? He really woke up. Guys, do you know like five people in a huddle can shift history? Five people really just praying. Five people fasting and praying could change a nation. Five of them could do this. What would happen if the believers in Canada woke up to their power in Jesus Christ? What would happen if somebody poked the bear? What would happen if we finally just stopped sleeping? You know what? lures us to sleep. We start falling in love with the same things the world falls in love with. And we live to be entertained. And there's not anything wrong with being entertained or enjoying life. But when you live for it, something's wrong. When it's your goal in life, something's wrong. Entertainment is not in and of itself bad. But it does have the side effect of luring you to sleep. Wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love that verse because it tells me I don't have to do it. I just need to wake up, and Christ will shine on me and through me. So what does it look like to wake up? What does it look like for you to wake up? If you really believed your prayers were changing things, you'd be praying a lot more. If you really believed that Jesus could come tomorrow, You'd be telling people about them. If you believed as much as you say you believe that there's a heaven and there's a hell, we would not be comfortable with the amount of people that are dying and going to hell. And I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to tell you this, we all need to just wake up. Because there's a world around us that needs us. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. But he chose to put us here until he gets back. And we're here not just to take up space or to wait for his return. We're here to get some stuff done. Amen. 
Let's get it done, amen? We stand on guard for Canada. If you're going to sing that song, better be able to mean it. If you're going to say, oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee, back your words up. Not just with good intentions, but with action, with prayer, with love, with faith, with walking out the very thing that God called you to do. Darkness will be turned to light. We look around and we say, well, it's greatly dark. I don't know if we can win this one. We're called to be who God made us to be. We're called to be his church, to be his people, to be his sons and daughters. If Jesus could turn Galilee and the surrounding region on its head, if the 12 that started out, you know, and and of course there were many that followed after them, but those first 12 that started preaching in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, if what was said about them after a short period, after a short period of them preaching, what was said about them was these are the men who've turned the world upside down. Twelve guys. What can we do? I want you to stand with me this morning. We're going to pray for Canada like we haven't prayed in a while.